0: welcome you guys back to another live edition of fan response it is fan response episode 38 on this wednesday evening i know we usually go live on thursdays but we have a very special guest in rachel hill tomorrow to talk more about ohio sports we had her back in may she was fantastic she thought isaiah's takes were absolutely loony which is exactly what we're going for and uh apologize apologies to the audience today for getting a Two minutes late started here, but um, we're glad to be on air. And, you know, it's not an MI6 Sports Network show without some technical difficulties, right, Callan? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, first things first, we got Isaiah. I do not know what's going on here. He's got the Houston Rockets jersey on right now. Isaiah, I know you're a fan of players, but Yao Ming, he retired 10 years ago, buddy. So what's up with your Houston
1: Houston Rockets fandom. Bro, first of all, we're going to talk about the Houston Rockets because they hired a new head coach today. So I decided to just wear this to rep the Houston Rockets. And secondly, this is not Yao Ming, man. This is actually – uh hold on. Oh, wow. This is actually Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin's Houston Rockets jersey. It's a throwback um I'm only rocking it because there's been rumors in the past couple of days that Jeremy Lin might come back to the NBA as a possible member of the Golden State Warriors. So I was like, you know what? What the hell? Why not? The Rockets, they have a new they have a new coach, plus Jeremy Lin is in the news. It just makes perfect sense to rock this Rockets jersey.
0: You know, speaking of Jeremy Lin, Isaiah there's been a lot of news about him potentially to the Golden State Warriors back to the Bay. By the way, if he does, I'd love to meet him up in, you know, Palo Alto or San Francisco it would be very, very cool. But is there any other open speculation of Jeremy Lin to any other NBA teams? Because I know you are the chief journalist for MI6 when it comes to Lin Sanity.
1: Yeah, there are a couple. Um one is Brooklyn because reports is that Jeremy Lin's agent and Kevin Durant's agent are very close friends. And, uh, Jeremy Lin, he has, he's like a big, uh, he has a big fan in the Brooklyn Nets owner, Joe Tsai, who is Chinese. So like they might try to work something out. Um, right now it's just the Nets, the Warriors, and I even heard of the Lakers maybe being. Uh, a potential destination for Jeremy Lin, uh, so he can serve as a backup point guard if Rajon Rondo decides to leave. But who knows, man? NBA free agency this year is going to be wild. I can't wait. All I if the, there's only one thing I really want from NBA free agency and the NBA draft is two things, actually. Number one, LaMelo ball to get drafted by the Golden State Warriors. And number two, the Los Angeles Lakers to land Victor freaking Oladipo.
0: This guy and Devin Booker, LaMelo Ball, and Oladipo, he will just not stop. He wants everybody on the Lakers. Let's get Callan McClurg on the Lakers, starting shooting guard or point guard, honestly, at this rate. And then while we're at I, it, I maybe we we'll have up Jonathan Mathis as the assistant head coach. We brought, <laughs> we brought, oh, we brought my God, up the idea man. before. You want everybody on the Lakers, man. But anyway, before we get onto our basketball topics, Callan, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening with us? I'm doing great. I'm glad
2: to be here and not actually in charge of a program for once. It's nice to mix things up a bit and kind of be a bit more of an analyst as opposed to hosting programming, but I'm glad to be here and with uh, you
0: three gentlemen here tonight. Oh yeah, and that's right guys. For the first uh, time in fan response, Callum will be joining us as an analyst and you know, you know, you
2: I think we lost Stephen's audio.
3: I can't hear Stephen. <laughs> for the time being. I'm for the time for being, we time.
2: can't hear Mr. Wang.
3: For the time being, I'm here for the first time, y'all. Well,
2: All Martin, we're fighting. glad to have you here, but sadly we can't hear Stephen for some reason.
3: Yeah, he's, he's playing uh, Mr. Mime. Can you guys hear me okay?
0: We can now. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm going through some technical difficulties right now, but we all know it's not MI6 without the tech difficulties. But I did want to go over to Martin, who is joining us um, on the MI6 Sports Network, one of our broadcasts for the first time since Jonathan and Callan joined our network. Martin, how, how's everything going over there down in Fresno? And uh, how's the sporting world go- treating you right now? Uh,
3: Fresno's Fresno. You know You know, it's cold in the daytime, in the morning. It's super hot in, in the daytime. As for sports, well, we came up short. What can I say? Next year, Giannis, baby. <laughs> Heat up. Are you Steven? there, Steven?
2: I think we lost Stephen again. <laughs> oh, <looks> my
3: God. <laughs> All right. So, Stephen is Mr. Mime today.
2: Oh, my goodness gracious. Terrible. The one time I don't want to host a program and Stephen is stuck with Stephen, technical This difficult. is
3: why you became our host.
2: <laughs> I, I guess so apparently. Uh, while we wait for Stephen, I guess I'll uh, take over control for a bit here. We'll go to some comments, guys. Casey King on vacation in Sedona, Arizona, enjoying himself. And also uh, my buddy, Tyler Work. Hello to Stephen, Isaiah, and Martin. And oh, I guess hi to Cowan as well. Again, I was not supposed to host the program today, but again, sadly, Stephen is uh, stuck with technical difficulties throughout the course of our program right now. Literally wrote that into the uh, private chat, saying, give me (laughs) a sec, audio difficulty. So hopefully we'll get Stephen back on the line, hopefully sometime uh, very soon. Uh, Isaiah, Um,
0: what reaction
2: Okay, go for it, Stephen.
0: Yeah, we really need that Sam Ellinger uh, video or gift to come out because that would be perfect for when people come back from technical difficulties. It's like, hey, MI6, I'm back. But anyway. (laughs) Or we can just use that. (laughs) Anyway, you know, I didn't really get to hear uh, Martin's response on how everything is going in the sporting world for him, but I'm just glad to be joined by him for the first time since Callan and Jonathan Came aboard, Martin. What are your thoughts about these technical difficulties in the sporting news so far?
3: The technical <laughs> difficulties? Well, I I have not been on here since the NFL draft, man.
0: I, I know, and that was like what a four and a half hour special. Trevor's face. That guy looked like he straight up came out of an actual night shift. I know we have a program called the Night Shift, but it sure as heck does not last four and a half hours or. <laughs> however long that was he looked dead man and I, I had to be in and out for walks and technical difficulties and uh, isaiah that... was in and out as well i feel like that was the turning point for when trevor became a key contributor of mi6 like we can't even really call him the mi6 man anymore He's the he, corner the table,
3: man.
0: <laughs> yeah man he is like the starting center man he really, really helping us out in every facet of the game of mi6 Dude, but you know that-
3: Remember that draft, man? I said, I said, uh, Henry Ruggs, Darius Hayward Bay, man. You and got a lot of flack
0: for that, man. You did. Like, uh, immediately after you said it, I, I kid you not, 10 minutes after that got uploaded, it was one of our most blown up videos on uh, fan response back when we had that YouTube channel running.
3: And I immediately,
0: know. a guy commented, if you think Henry Ruggs is the next Darius Hayward Bay, you don't know jack bleat about sports. He was pissed, man.
3: man. He was pissed. I just really wanted Jerry Judy, man. That's all.
0: I know, I know. But how are you feeling about Henry Ruggs now?
3: I love him. He's our new Tyreek Hill. If only our defense was alive.
0: Yeah, man. 3-3 and for the Raiders. My friend's got a bold prediction that they're still going to finish 11-5, and though.
3: I don't see it, man. That defense is freaking trash. They're up there with the Cowboys. Terrible.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Garrick Chan. He was actually on one of our streams one time for a watch party. Hopefully I can send him this link and he can hear me shout him out. But all guys, right. with that, with oh, that man, being, s- oh yeah, you're going to say something, Martin, before we move uh, on to the next segment.
3: Right. Go ahead, go ahead, man.
0: Okay, with that being said, guys, you know, technical difficulties aside, uh, random intros aside, let's move on to our first topic of the night, which is the World Series, I want to congratulate Jonathan for his L.A. Dodgers and his L.A. Lakers for winning a championship in the year of twelve has endured a lot and a lot of winning. Yes! 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 Unfortunately, you can't say the same for San Diego Callan, as usual. But, the L.A. Dodgers get it done, and now we have two major North American title for the city of L.A. They're feeling good. You know, they're starting a little bit of riots. But before we get into those topics, um, I want to get into the gameplay a little bit. And as we all know, in game four, it really felt like the series could turn in a different direction um, because of this crazy play right here. Jansen. The bases loaded situation. The Rays hit the ball over and an outfielder for the Dodger blows the save and they try to tag out at home field, home base, home plate. Miss the ball. They score the game winning run the Rays do to tie the series up two to two. And I know you guys hate my phrases here, but choke theory seemed like it was really, really going to play a factor here. This felt like, You know, the San Antonio Spurs-Miami Heat-Ray Allen 3 moment. This felt like an exact gut punch to the chest. This felt like blowing a 10-point lead in the NFL in the fourth quarter. But instead, the Dodgers managed to come back and win back-to-back games to take the World Series and their first title in 32 years. It just seemed like there was so much championship heartbreak, but they finally got it done. They finally came in Gen Z clutch. So I want to go over to Callan here, who... Jensie Clutch. Callan, what did the Dodgers do differently in those final two games to be able to?
2: Sadly, Stephen cut out at the uh, the very end there of his question. But I will say, though, in regards to how the series played out with the play we saw, is, as I have said, though, fellas, so many times, though, and everyone out there watching, as I, sa- as I have said, though, so many times, has been the fact that you can't give a team like the Dodgers who have this potent offense and a very good starting rotation. You just can't give them chances to score runs or give them free chances to actually get guys on base. And, you know, I, I think more so that it's just a veteran led team that knew how to bounce back. And they also got that big hit. It seemed like in every big time situation where there was a solo Homer, an RBI double, but, of course, uh, I, I think the stat that probably gets looked over so many times in, in the Dodger playoffs uh, this year, fellas, has got to be that the Dodgers had so many runs scored all with two outs. And normally a lot of teams don't really execute well with two outs and they have guys on base. But the Dodgers found a way, it seemed like, in every game played in the postseason this year, maybe even in the into the regular season, This team found a way with two outs to get that guy home and keep the line moving and keep the inning going and make the uh, opposing pitchers work. But that was probably the one thing that really stood out in my mind, though, as to why the Dodgers were so successful in this postseason. And mainly the World Series, though, was clutch two-out hitting. We saw that, of course, I think in Game 7 against the Braves, where, of course, they had the uh, game-tying homer by Kike Hernandez, the go-ahead homer uh, by Cody Bellinger. They found a way... Somehow, someway, by hell the high water, they were going to find a way to get that runner in with two outs in the, throughout the course of the game. But also, as well, I will say as well that uh, Clayton Kershaw probably had his most impressive postseason. And I actually wrote a comment into Tyler and uh, to Tyler's program earlier on Wednesday night saying that, you know, Clayton Kershaw and Jack Morris are probably two pitchers that come to mind. For their playoff struggles but now here they are in the same breath for one playoff hurdles they had to jump over and they had you know either very high eras in the postseason but now they have rings and they're going to be in in cooperstown very soon though but i had said though so many times though guys that this that majority of kershaw's starts mainly i want to say it was game three of the NL or game two of the nlcs but also his two starts in the world series were probably his most important starts of his career because it was a good chance for him to kind of prove people wrong and shut up the doubters and haters saying, hey, look, I can do this in the regular season and the postseason. And he finally, I think, was able to get that monkey off his back. And as I also said, though, fellas, yes, I despise the Dodgers, but you respect greatness when you see it. And Clayton Kershaw has been nothing but you know great in his career. Yes, it never came to fruition in regards to the postseason for the past you know six or seven seasons. But I think in the two biggest starts of his career, he came and stepped up in a big situation and he's got that ring finally after a long, long wait.
0: For sure. Definitely a couple of suspect characters stepping up in the postseason. But Callan, to me, this whole matchup seemed like a Los Angeles Lakers versus Miami Heat situation in that you had one team that was just overloaded with talent and highly paid players, highly touted prospects in the Dodgers, and then you had another team that was not expected to be in the World Series going toe-to-toe with them. I know it's different in baseball, and I know that one player in baseball has a lot less impact than one player in, say, soccer or basketball. But to you, was it always obvious that the Dodgers were going to pull out this series and finally win the title?
2: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that w- that's also a reason, I think, Steve, why me and Isaiah and John had talked a lot about game one of this series because of the ratings being down on television for Fox was it was mainly in my mind the lack of that other market. If this was Yankees, you know, uh, the Yankees and Dodgers, Houston playing Los Angeles, that it probably would have been like, you know, a bigger boost. But I think that as we had said, though, a lot of factors – you know, uh, mainly the you know the debt and the revenue being lost this year. I think baseball's in about eight billion dollars worth of debt. They lost three billion dollars in ballpark revenue this regular season, having no fans in the ballpark this year. Uh, I also think it was a factor of sports overload because you had everything come back pretty much at the same time, from soccer to basketball to hockey to baseball, finally coming to grips in you know June or July for a 60 game sprint to the finish line. And you had everything pretty much going on at one time where your days, you know, Trevor Williams said it best, I think fellows that, you know, there was early days where you could wake up and watch, you know, maybe a soccer game at nine o'clock in the morning, then watch a baseball game at 12 o'clock. And, you know, you have all the games going on. You have the NBA regular season, the Stanley cup playoffs going on the Stanley cup uh, qualifying round going on. So I think, uh, mainly Steven, uh, I think it's probably, for one, mainly in my mind, it's the lack of the other market. And no, and absolutely no disrespect to the Rays, a very fun ball club. But as mentioned, though, you know, a great team. But again, a lot of guys you don't know about. You know, no one had known about Randy Arozarena or, or, you know, Blake Snell mainly because they play, you know, I call it small market syndrome. That's why I, I, I say that about San Diego. I say that about St. Petersburg or Tampa uh, because, you know, you have guys there in these certain markets that, you know, play well, but you hardly hear about them because they're not on national TV. They, they really don't in people's minds compete with the New Yorks and the Boston's, Chicago's LA's of the world. But then you have, you know, you, you know, your guys in San Diego, you have guys on this raised ball club, you know, like, you know, Randy or Rosarena, you have, you know, uh, Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, you know, you, you have guys, but not like those big name studs like Mookie Betts and Bellinger and Muncy, you know. So I think just mainly, Steve, in my mind, boy, I I pretty much knew that once the Dodgers had gotten in, uh, gotten by Atlanta, uh, that they were probably going to win the whole uh, win win the whole, uh, win the World Series.
0: And plus, I think one thing that um, is not highlighted enough is that the Rays had a disheartening 3-0 blown lead that they had to come back from and win a game seven. They were, you know, high, very, very tired from that. Whereas on the other end, you have the Dodgers who came back from 3-1, won three games in a row, completely different than almost blowing a series and then carrying that momentum over to the World Series. And, you know, guys, I think Callen brings up a great point here about the sporting market and the lack of a prominent market um, in terms of the finals opponent, the World Series opponent. That Dodgers had in the Tampa Bay Rays we know Tampa Bay's sports market is not always you know the most highly touted especially in baseball and if we're talking about overall North American sports definitely Miami um, and maybe even Orlando are two cities that are more desired than Tampa Bay and this is exactly why when um, you know people like Isaiah and Uh, many other sports fans bring up the decreased viewership of the NBA finals. It's a big pet peeve of mine. I feel like we are leaping to conclusions. This was the NBA's first year in uh, a format where they had the finals in the fall, number one. And number two, it was the Lakers versus the Heat. There were two playoff matchups, I feel, that we were kind of, you know, cheated out of, if you will, in the NBA playoffs. Um, And I'll get to the MLB in a bit. But one you know, one big one was that we didn't have LeBron James versus Giannis in the finals. That was the anticipated finals matchup. And I know how much of a Heat fan Martin is, and uh, he's so much more than a casual NBA watcher to understand why the Bucs broke down. But that was the finals matchup the fans wanted, guys. And then the other one was the battle of L.A., the Clippers versus the Lakers. So, of course, finals and playoffs ratings are going to be down when you're cheated out of two highly touted matchups that were going to happen. And then you add on top of that, the injury to Kate Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Could you imagine what would have happened if it was Kevin Durant versus LeBron James in the NBA finals on new teams, Kyrie versus LeBron, people would not turn the TV off to watch some irrelevant Monday night football game over that. All right. So, Guys, quit trying to harp on the NBA and MLB for their postseason series. And, Callan, could you imagine if it was the Dodgers versus the Asterisks, the Cheaters and the Astros in the World Series? Will people not tune into that over Thursday night football? Come on. Oh man, a-
2: guys. A- absolutely, and especially when you throw in what already had gone on in the regular season with their four matchups. Again, you had Joe Kelly throw at Alex Brigman and Carlos Correa. The benches emptied out you know, and things like that. And, of course, it was frowned upon because of the uh, uh, ongoing pandemic and the social distancing. I did want to bring up one thing, I, uh, one thing, but I think I may have just have my train of thought derailed, though. But I was going to bring up one more thing about the World Series. If, if it comes back to me, Steve, I'll let you know. But I would agree, though. Like I said, if it was anyone else other than Tampa Bay in the World Series, you know, again, uh, Yankees or the Astros, this would have been, you know, must-watch TV. And, of course, I say, would have say, get the popcorn ready for that
0: matchup. Absolutely agree. It would be highly, highly touted in any of those circumstances. Um, we'll jump into a little bit of comments and then get to Isaiah's take here. First, we got Casey tuning in from Sedona, Arizona. Always love the support, Casey. Um, Absolutely. Very appreciative of you coming um, aboard and tuning into all of MI6's content. It's very um, great, the kind of contributions you, Christy Wilson, Tyler Work, and James Gonzalez provide in the comments section, as well as Chardal. And he says hello to Steven, Isaiah, and Martin. Tyler says, "Oh, I guess hi to Callen as well." <laughs> come on, Tyler, you and Callan go back to like what day one, day two, you know? Pretty much. Tomato, tomato. You guys go back way. Come on, how could it just be? Oh, I guess hi to Callen as well. Seven months ago. TQN, or maybe a joke baby. is flying over my head. <laughs> that could be it. Casey King says Dodgers are going to repeat back to back and or. Back-to-back MLB championships, maybe. Um, Tyler's saying it's so nice to look back at the play and laugh at how stupid it was. But unfortunately, we can't look back and say that the Dodgers blew it this year because choke theory did not apply to the Dodgers this year. And I know Isaiah is going to have a lot to say about <laughs> choke theory. Oh, my God. Um, then we got Christy Wilson agreeing with me. LeBron versus Durant would have been awesome. I know, man, right? Like, Martin, you're in the stream. I know you love Jimmy Butler, man, but the national audience would turn into LeBron versus Kyrie or LeBron versus Durant over LeBron versus Butler any day of the week. But, man, KD,
3: KD and Kyrie were out before this pandemic, man. I'm just saying,
0: the- man, that the finals matchup we got was not – was was not one of the marquee potential finals matchups we could have gotten.
3: I agree. I do agree there.
0: Maybe, maybe like not talking about Kyrie and Katie versus LeBron. That that's like too ideal of a hypothetical. But I'm thinking LeBron versus Giannis, like at least that would have gotten more views than what we had as the finals. That was the one that people anticipated. And then meeting, I feel like once, once we missed out on the battle of L.A., the Clippers and the Lakers, a lot of fans just kind of tuned out. They're like, what happened? You know, the Clippers lost because of the bubble, whatever. And that, that was that. But with that being said, guys, um, I do want to move on to Isaiah and his thoughts on um, how the World Series went. And Isaiah, what do you think the Dodgers were able to do to overcome the huge uh, blunder in Game 4 and win the next two games to win the World Series?
1: Well, listen, before I get into the Rays-Dodgers World Series, I got to respond to something Callen said. Callen said that if it was Yankees-Dodgers or Dodgers-Astros-The World Series, then people would tune in to that over a meaningless Monday or Monday night or Thursday night football game. Callan, I'm sorry to tell you, man, I would probably be in the minority on this. I would definitely tune in to the football game. Like, come on, man, are you serious? If Nick Mullins and the 49ers are playing the Philadelphia Eagles over the Dodgers-Yankees, I got to watch my boy, man. I would tune in to – I would tune in to Nick to watch Nick Mullins play over the World Series any day of the week. Isaiah, but if you
0: have to laugh in the middle of your take, you know it's outlandish. Come on. Come on, man.
1: Hey, look at Callen's reaction right now, but Callen, you better get the shades ready, by the way, man. Um, but listen, my thoughts on the Dodgers Rays Game six is this: I don't want to take anything away. From the Los Angeles Dodgers, they were the best team in baseball all season long. They hit the most home runs in baseball. Their lineup was so damn powerful from top to bottom. They had one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball. And also... Hey, that's the first
0: time I've heard best pitching instead of one of the worst. Because that's usually what you say.
1: Hey, I finally admitted it. Um, But also in the playoffs when they went down 3-1 and were pushed to the brink by the Atlanta Braves. They showed me that they had the heart of a champion and battled back and got off the mat and somehow, some way, won that series. So I want to give the Dodgers all the credit in the world. They totally deserve this championship, but I'm not here to talk about the Dodgers. I'm here to talk about the worst decision that I have ever witnessed in my entire life watching baseball. And I'm really surprised that Callen and Steven, you guys haven't brought this up yet. Uh, yeah. Kevin Cash last night made one of the worst decisions I have ever seen in my life watching baseball in the sixth inning when the Rays were clinging to a one nothing lead and his starting pitcher, Blake Snell, was out there absolutely dealing. I mean, this guy was throwing 95 to 98 with his fastball, and also he was making the Dodgers hitters. Looks silly with his slider and curveball. That's how nasty he was. And after giving up the first hit, he allowed the Dodgers in the game in the sixth inning with one out. Kevin Cash goes and takes him out of the game. And you can see right there. And then that Blake Snell was absolutely disgusted at Kevin cash's decision. And he had a right to be because the guy was only at 73 pitches. I turned off my TV because at that point when he took him out, I knew that the rays were going to lose. And what happened next? The reliever that Kevin cash brings in to relieve Blake Snell All of a sudden, boom, gives up two runs and the Dodgers take the lead. And that's all she wrote. We've talked numerous times on this network about how analytics are ruining the game of baseball. And honestly, I wish that managers would manage with their eyes more instead of using the book or reading off the number sheet all the time to make their decisions. Your pitcher was absolutely dominating them. He still had a lot left in the tank. He was only at 73 pitches, and you only take him out because the numbers and the the book tells tells you that, oh, it's the third time through the order, and that's when the hitters will start feasting on the pitchers. Let the pitcher pitch through it, Kevin Cash. It was just one blip in the radar. Stop relying on the numbers so damn much. Use your freaking eyes, man. And, like, you guys, uh, you guys see this? You guys see this, uh, what I posted on Facebook right after the game? Analytics cost the Rays this game and this World Series. I posted this exactly right after the game had ended. The Rays are an organization that lives and dies by the numbers. And last night, the numbers killed them.
0: Yes, I definitely think analytics and overthinking was a big part of the Dodgers winning this series and the Rays, quote unquote, really blowing it after game four. I felt there was a bit of complacency of like, oh, you know, we can pull a comeback like we did in game four after the game four win from the Rays. But overall, I think um, the talent difference was huge here. I mean, the team payroll for the Dodgers is about four to five times that of the Rays. And Callen has something to add on. Maybe you've got your World Series thought back back on. I, uh, Callan, what's up?
2: Yeah, the uh, the light bulb just came back on. Uh, no pun intended.
0: Oh, but that's what I was re- going to refer
2: to though was something I had talked about a lot though heavily during the course of the ALCS and for that matter both championship series though, uh, fellas was playoff experience kind of came to the forefront. For a bit there with the Astros clawing back from 3-0 and of course the Dodgers uh, climbed back from 3-1. And I think, Steve, Mintz also what he saw come to fruition is that playoff experience come to pass in the World Series. Yes, the Dodgers had, you know, one game one and the series was tied. They went up and it was tied again and stuff like that. But that Dave Roberts, in a way... Kind of, you know, he maneuvered the pieces for the first time in eight years correctly for once and didn't go with a Trinan or a Jansen and a maybe a win lose or very tough situation. Where was Kevin Cash maybe making a rookie or second year manager's mistake again on that big stage? Not a lot of playoff experience where Dave Roberts is a season, you know, veteran manager and pushed the right buttons this time. And I think that's what really I think was also a big undoing factor for the race was, again, that playoff experience, not there. And, of course, the Dodgers, eight years in a row in the postseason, and it finally came to fruition for Los Angeles on Tuesday night.
0: Absolutely, and uh, credit to the Dodgers for pulling it out. Martin, I know that you don't have a lot of comments when it comes to baseball, but you got anything to say to our buddy Jonathan Mathis on the network about his L.A. Dodgers winning the World Series?
3: Uh, right, then congrats. And he did say asterisk season. So, yeah man. He did say that. So, yes, see that.
0: Yes, I made a post on uh, Jonathan's timeline. Congrats.
3: congrats. Yes.
0: Yes, literally, Jonathan is telling Jonathan, what the heck are you saying, man? Because... Uh, I did end up making a post on his timeline after the World Series, congratulating his Dodgers and reminding him to remove that asterisk. But moving on uh, with this Dodgers topic, um, let's get into a little bit of the aftermath of the championship. Obviously, we had crazy celebrations from L.A. sports fans again, um, which were even overshadowed by the fact that Justin Turner, a guy who had been removed mid-game, mid-series for testing positive for the coronavirus, comes back out onto the field, no mask to go celebrate with teammates, to go ce- celebrate with the referees, to go celebrate with the reporters. Um what were your thoughts on that, Isaiah? I'll start with you.
1: Take yourself off mute, Isaiah. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, This entire show has just been marred by technical difficulties. so I don't think we should be surprised by anything that pops up now. But listen, I thought what Dustin Turner did was really it was it was negligence, man. Uh, We are in a pandemic right now. Like my guy, Sri Anad, said it best today in one of our calls. The coronavirus is not a virus you give through body body liquid. You give it through the air. It's an airborne virus. So That means I can breathe, and you stand in the same room as me, and you can catch the coronavirus. So I thought that, you know, I get the fact that you just won um, a World Series. It's a great accomplishment, and you want to celebrate with your team. But come on, man, wear your damn mask. We're in a pandemic. This is not normal time. Wear your mask and you can go out there to celebrate. I don't have a problem with him going yes! out. There. Yes! 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 I don't. Yes! I don't have a problem with Justin Turner going out to celebrate. I have a problem with him taking his mask off. That was the dumbest decision I've ever seen
0: and i definitely think isaiah there's got to be sanctions against justin turner there's got to be some kind of recourse for the kind of danger he put himself he put his teammates he put the reporters out there um I, and i just think that yes you won the world series um you're part of the team congrats it's a big accomplishment but there're just some things especially with how the country is going right now and how this crisis is happening that are bigger than baseball that are bigger than sports And, you know, unfortunately, guys bigger than the World Series, I know that they get paid to do this. This is their entire livelihood. But part of that is just staying healthy and not getting other people sick as well. I I just thought it was very irresponsible of Justin Turner. I totally agree with Sri on this occasion, and um, I commend him on um, kind of the rant he went on today in our call and really outlining how dangerous it is because this virus is not going away anytime soon guys and it's not just even about the immediate people that turner could have affected infected yes he can infect the reporters yes he can infect the teammates and all of that um he increases the risk for that but not only that the reporters have kids if they have parents if they have family that they interact with coworkers. It spreads more and more. And Sri put out a very interesting statistic about this novel coronavirus, which is that 80% of coronavirus cases come out of super spreader events. So things like big sporting events, big bar hangouts, only 20% of coronavirus cases would happen from stuff like, say, me and Callan playing cards in a room or Martin hanging out with his parents in a room. That's only 20% of the cases. 80% of the cases branch out of super spreader events. And the reason why, because not only can that event get people sick, the people who come out of the event can then get other people sick. So guys, you got to wear your mask. If you test positive, absolutely under no circumstances should you be interacting with fans, teammates, family, children, nothing. I don't want to hear any of that. I don't care if you won a Nobel Prize. I don't care if you won finals MVP. I don't care if you won a billion dollars. No circumstances should you be putting other people's health at risk. It is just absolutely silly and just remiss of the Dodgers organization and some of the people out there to allow this to happen, especially the commissioner of baseball who is there as well. Um, before I get into Callen's take on this, I do want to um, – Shout-out Garrick, who's been tuning into the podcast. Um, Garrick commented in our private text message that the Dodgers do deserve the credit because they have been the best team, not just this season, but you could argue the other seasons as well if you take away the Astros cheating. So very well-deserving of their title. Christy Wilson says Dodgers versus Yankees would have been definite must-see TV. But Christy, I don't know. Um it might have been good that we missed out on that, because if the Dodgers had won over the Yankees, we might have two riots in two big cities, New York and L.A. One Still for losing not as bad and one as Vancouver
2: in the Stanley Cup Finals.
0: Oh, I don't know, Cal, but if you put the two biggest American cities together, could start reaching those levels. Yeah, but, maybe. Yeah. Uh, with that, we'll go to you, Cal, and your thoughts on the Justin Turner situation and just some of the crazy, crazy uh, lunacy riots out in LA after the Dodgers won the title.
2: You know, for one thing, for Major League Baseball, you know they finally get to the finish line, fellas, and the and it all becomes overshadowed by what happened with Justin Turner. And I, for one, guys, think that probably that this is probably going to be something that is going to be pretty much swept under the rug. If we know baseball's track record and know how the commissioner's office works, it's going to be a slap on the wrist for the organization, you know, a fine, a suspension, you know, maybe something else comes out of it. But I do think though, that it was a very self-centered and selfish act. And I agree with Casey as a Dodger fan, Casey agrees stupid on Turner for going out there. I mean, that's all. And, but also that falls on the organization and that also in my mind falls on major league baseball and their security reps for not stopping Turner You know, it's saying, hey, what the heck are you doing, buddy? Get back inside there, you know, and you're not going anywhere. So, I mean, while I think, though, that a lot of people have their thoughts about this, I personally don't see any punishment being dished out to the Dodgers. And if it is, it'll be just like the Astros. You get docked a draft pick, maybe. Maybe you'll lose a bit of money with a fine. Maybe a suspension is given out to maybe Dave Roberts or Justin Turner is suspended or something like that. But if we know baseball's recent history, fellas, in the past three, four, five seasons, or at least since 2017, they don't drop the hammer on stuff like this. I mean, if we look at other things that have happened, guys, in the recent memory, you know, imagine the NBA not doing what it did did to Donald Sterling. I know it's it's two different, you know, uh, stories, but still imagine what would have happened if they didn't, you know, dish out some sort of punishment like that in regards to, you know, an owner kind of abusing his power. But now in this case here with, with Justin Turner, I think it's self-centered. It's ignorant. It's arrogant for it. You know, it's it's uh, ignorant more so in my mind, you know, just totally obliterating and totally forgetting about protocols in place because, you know, that could be a lot, you know, perhaps maybe a penalty is in fact dished his way because you're talking about breaking a lot of the rules in place that were in this giant, you know, a uh, memo sent out uh, to the, uh, you know, the ball clubs back when they were going through the negotiations periods. But again, knowing the commissioner's office fellows, I think we all agree here. Nothing's probably going to come to light out of this, but I think it's also just more so. And I think it's a very similar thing, though, that I think it's a valid point, though. You know, here, guys, in the regular season, we had seen, you know, the outbreaks with St. Louis or with Miami. But let's look back, though, at uh, at a point in time, though, guys, where the Padres played San Francisco and right as the game was going to start, everyone was told to go and put a mask on because there was reports of a positive test amongst a Giants player. That game gets wiped off the board and moved to Sunday as part of a double header. And that ended up being a false positive test. So again, we don't know the full story, fellows. It's going to be a while till we hear anything. I think though that with baseball having this investigation, It's going to be, in my mind, very similar to what has gone on or what did go on with the Astros uh, cheating scandal, though. Maybe a fine, suspensions, maybe. But other than that, I don't see a lot coming out of this. But I think, though, uh, self centered, ignorant, selfish, and a very careless and reckless action by Justin Turner. But I don't think, though, he'll face any discipline in my mind.
0: And it's just unfortunate that we're stuck in this kind of culture within the MLB and within baseball right now where severe sanctions are not really the way that the commissioner or the league goes um, in speaking about these matters. And speaking of the World Series, David wanted to mention, do you, did you see the Fans Riot celebration video on Facebook featuring a woman falling off a vehicle and landing on her neck? Just I actually shit. just saw it via
2: KTLA a couple of hours ago, actually, yes.
0: Yep. And Angel joining in for, you know, the fifth time it feels like. Careless move on Justin Turner part. You know, what they say when something is said over and over again, you hear it again and again, it's probably true. Justin Turner, you're absolutely careless. Shame on you. Like I said, I don't care if you win a billion bucks. You don't go out there and put other people and their families at risk. Just selfish on his end. Absolutely despicable. But Martin had some thoughts about the Dodgers fans getting overly rowdy this morning and the. Justin Turner situation. Martin, in your opinion, um, what kind of transpired here for the Dodgers after they won the World Series?
3: As for the fans, they just got rowdy, man. But it happened to the Lakers too, so it's nothing new. But like I told you guys earlier, the reality is most likely these aren't even fans. They're just a bunch of looters that like to riot and like to cause a ruckus. Simple as that.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that oftentimes is the case is that when you get rioters, when you get protesters or people just celebrating something, finding a reason um, to destroy property or to destroy possessions, it's often not part of that fan base, whether it's a political organization or it's a team organization. They may not be part of that fan base. So we got to be careful about leaping to conclusions here. But I think in general, sometimes Um, people they lose the sight of sports you know it's all about bringing camaraderie it's about um, staying active and getting people motivated to live healthy lives and to have great bonds with people they wouldn't otherwise have met and we've kind of lost sight of that worldwide it's not just in this country I feel worldwide soccer protests all sorts of protests people taking sports way too, too seriously At the end of the day, guys, we got to remember it's a game. It might be the lives of some of these reporters. It might be the lives of some of these players. But nothing, including your job, is worth putting your physical health at risk. And I think that's where Justin Turner and the writers are absolutely wrong in this case. And I think that's where the MLB has to put tougher sanctions on all sorts of things like cheating, um, putting public safety in danger. There's a lot of things that can be improved within baseball. Callan, what's up? You know, I was thinking
2: about, you know, seeing the scenes from downtown Los Angeles, you know, again, thankfully everyone survived the 16 day title drought in the city of angels with the Lakers and Dodgers. But I don't recall though, fellas, and maybe Isaiah could correct me or someone in the chat box could, but I don't recall any riots ever breaking out when the Lakers three petered again, but I was very young though. But at the same time though, you know, and I was even asking my folks, you know, because I've only, you know. I really haven't seen a lot of San Diego sports success in my time on the, you know, living here in, in in, my hometown. But I had asked him about, you know, when the Padres were in the World Series in 84, the Chargers in the Super Bowl in 94, and then 98, and then recently, you know, how were things here? And they didn't say any riots broke up, but it's more so of what Steven was saying, though, that, cr- you know, the camaraderie of the local communities, you know, the bars being packed uh, along the beach and people, you know, beating their car horns and, you know, People dancing in the streets or, you know, running down the block and going crazy. But, you know, at the same time, though, I think Martin's onto a good point. They're just people that just want to stir up stuff and, you know, just kind of have a good time. And, you know, at the same time, though, you know, ruin the livelihood, you know, livelihood of a lot of people who have businesses in that area.
0: Yeah, and totally ruin the reputation of those sports fan bases, too. Frankly, it's just it's a bad look for everyone and uh, Angel tuning in. Right here. Hey, everyone, Um, don't mind if it's peaceful protest. But, you know, other than peaceful protest, you know, you you have to be careful about your actions in these kind of situations. And then, you know, on top of that, Callan, this is it's it's another super spreader event. We're harping a lot. I feel like we spent a lot of the segment talking about Justin Turner's part of endangering public safety. But when you go out there and you write and you're physically touching surfaces, breaking things, interacting with people, getting into fights, falling down, that's beyond the physical damage, even more potential for coronavirus to be spread as well.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. And I think that that, that uh, at least what I've gathered or what of what I've heard from uh, L.A. Public Health, there was, in fact, maybe a spike in cases linked to the previous um, celebration for the Lakers. So uh, sadly, here we go again
0: another super spreader event in california but what's new guys you know isaiah let's go to you for final thoughts on this topic
1: listen i i'm with angel i i like that the city i'm i'm okay with the city you know peacefully celebrating on the streets that they won a championship but what i saw i think it was back when the lakers won and also when the dodgers won These guys were going after the police officers. I mean, I don't understand. Like, they're just parked there. They're not doing anything to you guys. They're just out there to make sure, like – no no fires are being set on the street and stuff and you guys just go out and start throwing bottles in their cars and start like beating their cars like what is wrong with you guys like just peacefully celebrate I don't mind like celebrate all you want but don't harm other people don't break people's cars don't set streets on fires don't like break other people's stores like this this city is not all about you there's other people around us as well
0: And the city's not just about sports or the Dodgers or the Lakers hate to break it to everyone. You know, there's more to this, um, year. There's more to this world than the, than just the sports. And, you know, we, we do have to be careful though. Like Martin said, there's people outside of sports just finding a reason to break things. So I don't want to, you know, say anything against the fan bases, the excellent fan bases of the Dodgers Um, The Lakers or even the Canucks uh, in Vancouver when they lost the Stanley Cup, the Canucks. Yes, the Canucks, even when they lost the Stanley Cup finals, lots of riles. I don't want riots. I do not want to, you know, go against their fan bases. Just telling everybody to stay safe, stay civil out there. Um, And just remember, it's a game to build camaraderie. It's supposed to bring people together, not tear people apart not to tear neighbors apart not to tear policemen and civilians apart we have to remember the big picture here and david uh with the hot take over here i will never live in los angeles because of the crazy riots when it comes to sports more than just sports really and it would be such a pain to fix up your own place to live every time it's so expensive and you know before we move on to the next topic um that is one thing Callen, that you really don't have to worry about living in San Diego because there is so uh, little of that amount of just large scale winning you don't have people just tearing up the streets and damaging condos or housing or small businesses in San Diego so in that sense Callan uh, both our hometowns mine of uh, Minneapolis until very recently but also San Diego we don't have any worries as far as sports riots.
2: Don't give him any ideas. Eventually, oh. it's going to happen.
0: Oh, God. All right. San hey. Diego residents, if you're tuning in, take it easy on San Diego. Callen still has to live there. And maybe Jonathan and me someday. Please.
1: Steven, you, you missed the point, man. When The reason why, like, you know, yeah, I know LA, like, it's crazy and stuff like that. But come on, San Diego, you've got the beach. You've got the nice, like eighty degree weather. You got the palm trees. I mean, it's freaking paradise. I mean, I would choose San Diego in a heartbeat over Los Angeles. I mean, if I had enough money saved up right now, you betcha, I would be in San Diego.
0: Man, Plus, don't forget San- the pina
1: coladas as well.
0: For sure, man. San Diego super pina coladas, because we know the superchargers aren't there anymore. All right, well, speaking of football, guys, we're going to move on to the football topic here. I have a feeling we're going to keep Callum laughing all night long because here's what we got to start it off, and we'll let the video tell the story of what our next topic is.
2: Three, two,
1: one. Sunk the boat, sunk the boat, Minnesota sucks. Thank you to Michigan for putting them in their place. Hey, sunk the boat, sunk the boat. Harbaugh sunk the boat. Thank you to Michigan for sinking the boat. That's for you, Golden Gophers fans. The boat has been sunk. Thank you.
0: Uh, are we done? Are we done? Can we move on to the next You're topic? On, We're not talking about this game. We're not talking about this game, guys. Isaiah, no, no, we are not talking about this topic. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. We will be talking about Minnesota. Oh, Callan, you are gonna put me through a slow death today, man. But, uh. Let's talk about the city of San Diego, guys, which David is proud to be born and raised in America's finest city instead of this, instead of this game, anything but this game. Oh, man. Ugh. So many things just went wrong for Minnesota here. Um, as Christy says, she would choose San Diego if she could live in California. Chardal saying Isaiah is an amazing, amazing singer. Um, American I wish had-
1: Idol, here I come.
0: Yes, I wish we had Matthew Soltis tuning in today because he absolutely loved the original Sunk the Boat, which was actually around Christmas time of 2019 last year. Minnesota was a one loss team with the potential to win the Big Ten West and to have my dream Big Ten championship game. And they faced off against Wisconsin, and we all know what happened. They lost 38 to 17. After taking an early 7-0 lead, and the story continues, guys. Early offensive production from Minnesota off of a turnover. It looked like they were going to have the momentum at home. At home, you score the opening touchdown, and you lose by 24 – you lose by 25 points to Michigan. And last time, it was 21 points to Wisconsin. Man, I, I don't have any words for this game. I just – I feel like the Gophers the, – I don't want to use the Isaiah excuse that he made with Mike Leach and the Washington uh, the Washington State Cougars, but I just feel like the recruits aren't on the level of the Michigans, the Georgias, or the Wisconsins of the world. And like, I, I don't want to be using that excuse, Isaiah. I know you're laughing it off, but, how else are you going to break down this game, Isaiah? How how the heck else can you break this down? Because they had wide open lanes to run through. They had an entire chocolate factory of space to just run through in terms of uh, the running game, in terms of special team. There were wide open holes. I thought they were going through a cave every time they got the ball handed off to them or had it returned during special teams.
1: Well... Let me let me cut you some slack for a little bit. Uh, Minnesota, they were missing their starting <laughs> kicker. They were missing their starting punter. They were also missing their starting linebacker and one of their starting offensive linemen because of COVID-related reasons. So, I mean, maybe that's like if one of those or two of those guys come back, I mean, you might have a different story. But listen, Michigan, this is Jim Harbaugh's best team at Michigan. He finally has his quarterback. I know Callan keeps saying death, taxes, and uh, Michigan losing Ohio State. Well, that curse is going to end this year. Michigan is beating Ohio State. They have a great offensive line. They have a great running game. The receivers finally – The receivers finally have knowledge of that system, and Joe Milton, my, oh my, was I impressed with this dude. This dude has a cannon of an arm. This guy runs like Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's like Lamar Jackson, but with a cannon of an arm. Like This guy is going to be great. Ohio State needs to be trembling right now because the Wolverines are on their way to the Big Ten Championship.
0: Oh, man. David says, how about we talk about the Boise State punt mistake again? Yes. Let's talk about that one before we talk more about this.
2: (laughs) Wow.
3: Pretty good against him then. (laughs) From the 12, Jones keeps. Gets a block.
0: Turf monster got him. Oh, man. So uh looks like the Boise State punt video was taken down within our branding. But, you know, that pretty much kind of wraps up um, the program of Minnesota football. Just so much false hope and always almost reaching there and then just tripping and falling down, man, for real. The moment that broke the Internet, sunk the boat. Couldn't agree more, Christy. Uh, but, Angel, I got something to say to you, man. How dare you comment this about Ohio State not being able to beat, the, beat Michigan. You know, the one great thing about Saturday night last week, the one saving grace is that now that Michigan has beaten a top 20 team by 25 points and has moved up to a pretty, pretty ranking of number 13, let me tell you guys this. New year, new, same, false, hope. For Mitch, Uh, again, y'all are going to lose to Ohio State by over three touchdowns once again. You're going to look great all year long off of this Gophers win. Go enjoy your freaking frauds logo. Sure, you expose the PJ Fleck Gophers. Sure, you guys hate the camaraderie and the brashness of that head coach. And yes, for one night, you proved the doubters wrong. You came into Minnesota. You came into the Twin Cities. And you pulled a Wisconsin-like performance as Callen puts the hand signals up. But let's not forget about the big picture. Ohio State versus Michigan, man. Come on. That's no competition, man. It's like they're playing a JV team out there. It's like me versus Isaiah one-on-one out there, man. Never, ever going to beat the Ohio State University, guys. OH, New Year, same false hope. For Mitch, again, I will take Wisconsin with a better chance to beat Ohio State, even with the COVID concerns of Paul Crist and the quarterback. I will will take Uh, Clemson. They're not in the Big Ten, Martin. They're not in the Big Ten, Martin. But, yes, Clemson definitely has the best chances overall. Callan, what did you see as the breakdown for this Michigan-Minnesota game? Uh, As I know, we're a little bit late to the party covering it.
2: No, I, I just think that Minnesota, that Michigan probably looks good for right now. But, again, you're talking about playing Minnesota. You know, this is this is not even a measuring stick game. That, that measuring stick game for me is going to be Michigan State. It's going to be Ohio State. Uh, but, of course, that's the only game that I think anyone that's a Michigan fan cares about. Forget playing Minnesota. Forget playing Rutgers and all these other schools. The only game that I, that I think <clears> – <throat> or two games, but more so the only game that they really, I think, care about this year – is beating Ohio State. It's been a very long time for the Wolverines, you know, either losing by close or getting plastered against the wall by the by uh, Ohio State every single season. It seems like, of course, there was so many turnovers, you know, with fumbles and picks last season that it was an ugly, ugly game last year. That is the one game that I think any Michigan fan would tell you, even Isaiah would tell you, that's the only game they care about this year. Forget about about Sparty. Forget about Rutgers and Wisconsin and you know, and, and uh, the rest of the gang. The only game that Michigan has circled on their calendars or has alert notifications for on their phone calendar is when they play Ohio State this season for sure.
0: Yep, when they play their father. I would say older brother, but that's a little bit too nice for Michigan right now. Uh, Ohio State is their father, absolutely. Chardall uh, commenting Ohio State will lose to Michigan in the game, 42-24, to 24, and will show the Buckeye fans that Michigan will hail great in college football. Oh. Hail, hail to Michigan, the false hope of 10. That's all I got to say, man. It's false hope after false hope. And guys, anything Chardal comments as predictions, immediately bet against it. Bet your entire home mortgage amount on it. Bet your Tesla car on it. Bet your used car on it. Bet $1, $2, $2,000, dollars against anything Shardall says as a sports predictor. And guys, I know it's been a rough, rough segment with a lot of technical difficulties and my cough attack to pile on top of that. I was choking a little bit on Goldie the Gophers' big losses over the past couple of seasons, but I wasn't choking as hard as Shardall's sports predictions, man. Sorry, Shardall. Had to answer your little Ohio State hate there a little bit. But Martin... Your thoughts on the fraud, fraud, fraud gophers, as Isaiah would call them. Fraud gophers?
3: I mean, I don't have much thoughts on them. I just like hating on your teams. You know that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) At least he's honest. (laughs) (laughs) At least he's honest, Steve.
0: We don't even need a laugh sound effect to generate laughter out of that statement. It's (laughs) the truth. (laughs) Oh, man. And, you know, I love hating on your team's too martin what happened to tyler zero in the finals man please he's
3: up there as one of the goats
0: oh uh, he's definitely had one of the goat rookie seasons he is going to be a all-star superstar like i said i like hating on your teams as well man and <laughs> tyler hero as a rookie equals harrison barnes as a veteran you know he just wasn't ready for the moment man. please he just- he's <laughs>
3: better than barnes
0: <laughs> oh, Chardal agrees with Martin. He loves hating on my team. Shardell, please keep doing it, man. When we're done with this, maybe my Timberwolves will even have a championship um, <laughs> based on your prediction record. But uh Jim Harbaugh, C O T Y. Cough Choke of the year? year? Choke of the Year?
3: Choke <laughs> of, the of the Year. year. Choke of the year. I agree,
2: Isaiah. I totally agree. All oh, Christ you know, coach of the year for getting the Badgers back after the COVID outbreak they had on Wisconsin.
0: Got, on Wisconsin, as Callen says, he's he's ready for Wisconsin to finally dethrone uh, those Ohio State Buckeyes potentially in the Big Ten ready, championship. Ready for them
1: to finally win
2: the big one. Death taxes Wisconsin losing in the Big Ten title game. It's been that way for like it feels like forever, ever since Russell Wilson left. Sadly.
0: You know what, Callan? I think Wisconsin and Georgia should form a runner up conference. They should Let's call do it, it the runner up conference because every single year it feels like they're a runner up of their conferences. I mean, for goodness sake, they're like the Houston Rockets of college football, <laughs> just habitually falling short in the clutch. But uh moving on from that, guys, moving on to another false hope here. Isaiah Leung brought up the topic of BYU. If they go undefeated at rank number 11 right now, do they get into the college football? Well, let's look at their schedule. Got- yes. I said BYU in the college football playoffs, Division One FBS, not FCS, Callan. Yes. We are analyzing this topic right now, guys. BYU is currently the 11th ranked school in the country. They have Western Kentucky at home. They have number 25, Boise State, on the road, on the blue turf. Then they host North Alabama, a big, big powerhouse over there. I heard they're better than Bama nowadays, guys. And then they host San Diego State, Callen, in Not my school. That's not my school. All right, Calen, I think this is a quick one for you. If BYU goes undefeated, do you see a potential playoff appearance for them? And we're talking about FBS Absolutely football. Absolutely
2: not. I don't see them being in the in the college football playoff because they're the only they're the lone school I think that is still an independent program where Notre Dame already joined the conference to at least have a shot at the playoff. BYU I think hurt themselves by not going back to the Mountain West Conference. They're they're playing, you know, Boise State and SDSU. I believe they're playing State in Provo not in Carson this year, I think that's what Steven said. But I think that's what probably holds BYU back in my mind is the independent, you know, branding. I think the only other independents out there would be Navy, I think, maybe Army or is another one, but no, I do not see Brigham Young University because they don't have – Steve Young's not walking through that door. Jim McMahon's not walking through that door anytime soon. Yeah, they're going to be a good team. But who have they honestly played on their schedule? I say absolutely no to Brigham Young in the uh, college football playoffs. Sorry, Mr. Young,
0: but no chance.
2: Absolutely no chance.
0: Yep, uh, I'm going to put up the comment and the poll question momentarily. In fact, I think we already have the poll question down below. So, guys, be sure to leave your thoughts, your comments, and your votes in our Facebook live poll. Does BYU get into the college football playoff if they go undefeated? Um, I will turn it over to you now, Isaiah, because we need to have a loony take followed up by the amazing take of Callen.
1: Well... Can you read me BYU schedule thus far, uh,
0: Stephen? I would really, really... So they've got Western Kentucky at home. I'm ready for this one. They have have Boise State on the blue turn. Tell me the
1: result of each game as well.
0: Okay, so they beat Western Kentucky by 35 to 40 points. They beat Boise State on the road by uh, 10 to 14 points. They beat North Alabama at home by... 50 points, and they beat San Diego State, uh, the San Diego State Aztecs, by 17 points at home.
1: I got to stop you right there. I think you're reading the wrong schedule because, um, according to what I have down, they play Boise State like in the final week of November, and then they play San Diego State in the
0: final week of the season. So maybe I've got the sequence wrong, but assuming those types of scores, should BYU get into the college football playoff if they go undefeated?
1: Of course. I mean, why is this even a question? BYU should definitely get into the college football playoff. The reason being is I am tired of all these, like, like these power. They're going to play one ranked
2: opponent all season. You have got to be kidding me, Isaiah. They're, they're playing one ranked team, and they are an independent program. Why do you think Notre Dame went and joined the ACC to have a better shot to make the entire playoff field? I no, they're no, absolutely not. BYU so, cannot make the college football playoff, even if they go the on, re- B,
1: absolutely not. The reason why I want BYU to make it is because I'm tired of like the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the, the SEC and all the Power Five conference making it in. Let a non Power Five get in like UCF did when they went unbeaten for like back-to-back years and see what happens. I mean, it's the fun. So you want them to get in just to get their doors blown off by Bama, Georgia? No,
2: nobody is going to tune into that game at BYU somehow, some way, Independent programs, not with any conference affiliation, goes in there as a four seed, a two seed or whatever, and gets absolutely plastered. That's the last thing that BYU wants to have happen.
1: But, Callen, you forgot one thing, though. They've beaten all their opponents by 30-plus. But what what schools are these? You know,
2: we're talking the Sunbelt. We're talking Conference USA, the AAC. No, absolutely no chance BYU gets in.
0: I have never seen Callen debate with this kind of passion before. I absolutely love it. Absolutely no chance.
1: BYU has a stud quarterback who I think will make it to the NFL one day. I mean, this guy's good. They have a good off- offense that likes to throw the ball around. I mean, I just say, why not? I mean, it's twenty. It's like 2020. It's like you want some fun in the playoffs. And if BYU goes into Boise, which is a very, very tough place to play, they go into Boise and they beat Boise on that blue turf by, let's say, 20, which I highly doubt it will happen. But if they do – and I think they're worthy of a playoff spot I mean they went undefeated Who you got give that, them the, you gotta give them the reward for the result one ranked opponent on the schedule
2: literally Western and Kentucky. no conference
0: championship
2: and no conference championship not even an not appearance like one but guess what they're independent Isaiah there is no chance that this program if they go unbeaten, Gets in. They have one ranked opponent, and that's Boise State on the road in Boise. But come on, Western Kentucky. I don't even know. I don't even know what conference they're in. North Alabama. Give me an absolute break. Their last game is San Diego State at home. There is no way that that schedule is going to outweigh an <laughs> SEC, ACC, or another Power Five. I know it's twenty twenty, Isaiah, but there is no way. Absolutely no way that BYU gets in. Angel is right though. They'll get into a bowl game. It's going to be a New Year's Day six. They're not going to sniff a college football game out of here with that nonsense,
0: please. Mm-hmm. Martin, let's go to your thoughts. Um,
2: Absolute rubbish, young, Absolute rubbish.
3: I, I have a question for Isaiah. Who gets left out if they make it? If In they your make four it, teams, Isaiah. yeah. Who gets left out? Ohio State. Obviously, it's going to SEC champion.
1: Definitely will get it. Okay. Big 10 champion for sure makes it. Uh, Right now, Big 12 is out because they have two, they're like teams right now, like two lost teams. Oklahoma State, Isaiah. No, plus I think Oklahoma State will lose to Texas and Oklahoma. So I think, like, that. Okay, so two losses out. Yeah, they're going to be out. I would say Pac 12. I mean, Pac 12, I don't think they're going to make it because. They always beat each other up, and I don't trust USC. Oregon, they always their choke start at the end. Day
2: probably also, uh, their start date probably also doesn't help their cause either.
0: Exactly. They're only going to
1: play, what, six games
0: this season?
2: If they're lucky.
0: So he's if leaving lucky, the Pac-12 yeah. and the Big 12 out. So name me your four playoff teams under the circumstance BYU gets in.
1: Right now, I would go Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and the last one is
2: – You can only would put, put four.
1: And said BYU,
2: be BYU under your, yeah, your phony I would put, baloney yeah. tank It
1: would have to be BYU. Yeah, I would put BYU because I would put them over a one-loss team if they
3: go undefeated. You'll put them over Notre Dame? They're you not see, going you, undefeated, though.
0: Okay. So you see, usually a non-Power 5 team going undefeated and being left out would be a case for playoff expansion. Thank but you. With BYU likely going undefeated this season and potentially even making a New Year's six and into the top six of the final rankings, that's going to be a case against playoff expansion, folks, because Agreed. I, you know, like I, 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 I've I, alluded to this in some of the past programs that Callan and Isaiah have hosted, but the... The fun of college football is the exclusivity of it all. It's a different game, a different pace than the NFL. You don't have 16 or 17 regular season games. You have 12. You have a conference title game, and you have four teams that make it to be able to compete for the final race
2: which is why i think that puts BYU at a bigger disadvantage because they are still playing as an independent program. If they would have joined the Mountain West so, conference, they would have had a legitimate shot in my mind to at least play Boise, maybe play San Diego State, but them not being in a conference I think is what is going to hold them back this year.
3: Who do they not even a conference
0: title appearance, let
2: alone a championship.
3: Who do they yeah, do next? What's year? Up? They Who could join, they the join the Mountain West year? again. Really?
2: They could, but they're not going to because of money.
3: What about the Big Ten
0: or the Big 12? Any openings over there? Not that I'm aware of, honestly. Okay, so no openings over there. Listen, this is not the year to make a case for non-Power 5 teams to get in or playoff expansion. It's just not because these Power 5 teams, they are playing tougher schedules than ever without the buffer games like the East Mississippi States of the world and the FCS teams of the world and the Georgia Southerns. This is a tough, tough year for the Power Five teams, and I get it. The point is, even if you were to leave out as a the Pac-12 and the Big 12, you could still have two SEC teams make it or two Big Ten teams make it. I could easily see a Wisconsin with one loss to Ohio State by maybe 10 points over a undefeated BYU, right? I, I just I don't see a path forward here. This is the exact year that is basically written to be against the narrative of playoff expansion. I was never a fan no of the whole there, thing. There's
1: no
2: time, compacted schedules, not, en- you know, not enough non-conference games to do that. Yes, you have a couple. But again, Isaiah, I'm going to remind you again, they play one ranked opponent this entire season. Give me a break.
0: Yeah, unless San Diego State Bad pulls a miracle and We wins every game before the BYU game by 40 points – their schedule's not even going to look remotely similar to that of a power five team. and that's the that's the whole point guys. I think the whole point is that college football, the beauty of it is you have fewer games, each game matters more, and the exclusivity of it all, even with a four teams format, you already have the championship games per se, like the semifinals and the finals being low key roomed. I mean Clemson blew the top out of Notre Dame a couple seasons ago. And then did you see the LSU-Oklahoma game? Like, what the heck was that? I thought it was like Ohio State versus Mankato State University or something. Isaiah, you're reacting back now, but
2: that was BYU. It would have been 73-0. It would have been worse than the Bears beating the Redskins in 1940.
0: With four playoff teams, we're already getting – lopsided scores with power five teams coming into the just mix. imagine that
2: similar game but with BYU or San Diego State in there, it'd, be, it'd be just absolutely terrible and also I would, think, though, I would think though as well that yes BYU may get considered but you know damn well that committee is not going to want BYU in there because money television revenue tickets being sold if they let fans into the game so Isaiah come on man horrible
1: talent yeah. i am praying because you know how you know how diehard of a hawaii fan i am if if hawaii, has hawaii no fans
2: either they're not even going to be able to host the bowl game this year because of the covid restrictions in place
1: i mean don't you want to see hawaii potentially upset alabama in the playoffs like i want these like i, I agree with the last uh, time
2: who, that i can recall u of h being in a meaningful bowl game they got their doors blown off no
1: i, I mean i agree with angel i would gone at least eight or oh, I well I think eight I think sixteen is too much, but I would have definitely gone six just to get all the power fives in, plus one non-power five, make it make the playoff more interesting and more entertaining.
0: Okay, perhaps, perhaps. We could talk about buys and everything, but right now I think the exclusivity with four teams is already being a little bit limited, and we see some of these semifinals matchups just not looking competitive. I mean, listen, the committee wants most of the teams to be TV Friendly. And BYU is not a team that's going to get ratings on TVS. Christie Christy is saying. I,
2: Isaiah, BYU is on CBS Sports Network nine times out of ten, and most people don't get that station on TV. If they're, if they're on Fox or ESPN on the week or every week, then yes. But this one is correct. The committee wants the teams that are always on television to make the playoffs. Yes, it's a great story about BYU, but no, it's not going to work.
0: And Angel is predicting Alabama versus Clemson, part 263. I. Love that, Angel. I'm, I've got Ohio State beating Clemson in the national title game. Uh, Christie says, I don't think any Pac-12 team makes it to the playoff. Not I agree time. with you. Even if you take out the Pac-12 and the Big 12, and that's a big if, because Oklahoma State is looking ready to go either undefeated or one loss. I'd still take them over BYU in that circumstance. You could still have two SEC and or two Big Ten teams make it. To easily knock out my a only my, my only
2: legitimate beef with the Big Ten, and I said it earlier Wednesday morning was that that they did not think the schedule through with them not having any off days because now that game between the Badgers and Huskers uh. is totally off the board now, which I think a lot of Big Ten fans would agree, though. What in the world are you doing? You're looking like Isaiah Young, saying that BYU is gonna make the playoff.
0: <sighs> christie has got Clemson winning the season. Anyone with BYU at this point, guys. Uh we're gonna move on to the next topic here. Now let it- uh, Really if, not? If, no point in dragging the topic out even more. What's up, Isaiah? Make it quick. If I had,
1: if I were running the committee, you know damn well I would have Hawaii and also the other whack Mountain West non Power Five schools make the playoffs.
3: the f- are you looking at?
1: You literally play a rivalry
2: game for a screwdriver. Come on now, seriously.
0: Uh, all right, guys, let's move on to some basketball now. Cause I'm done talking about BYU or Hawaii going I to freaking too. college football playoffs. I mean, FCS playoffs have at it. FBS, hell no. Sorry. Excuse my language. Uh, go
2: Terraros.
0: to <laughs> yes, like go the playoffs At our,
2: at our, uh, at our level here in San Diego.
0: Yes, sir. FCS, baby. So, um, in new news, guys, in the NBA, Daryl Morey becomes the president of basketball operations in Philly. Uh, as we all know, his analytics drove the Houston Rockets to tremendous success, but a glass ceiling as they could not make it to the NBA finals and pulling really a Georgia and just blowing their best chance in 2018 and never being able to recover from it. I've always called them the Georgia Bulldogs of the NBA, Isaiah. But what do you think this hire here – of Daryl Morey to the Sixers does for the franchise? And perhaps do you think it's enough to keep the core of Embiid and Ben Simmons together?
1: Oh, I mean, I love this hire for the Philadelphia 76ers because they finally get a competent GM in there to make decisions for this franchise. I mean, I like Elton Brandt. But come on, man. Elton Brand wasn't ready for a big-time franchise, which is the Philadelphia 76ers. You get Daryl Morey, who has lots and lots of experience building teams in there to run your front office. I think it's a great move. Plus, he's got a great relationship with Doc Rivers, the new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm really interested, however, to see – the dynamic between Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. Because you know, Daryl Morey, he likes to go small. He's all about analytics. And, you know, analytics tell you to go small ball and you don't need a big man in today's NBA. But Doc Rivers is a guy that is old school. He's a guy that, you know, plays with the center, plays with the power forward. So I'm really... Interested to see how that dynamic would work, but I think this is a great hire for Philadelphia. Um, I honestly think that you know there was reports that Daryl Morey quit the Rockets job because you know he wanted to spend time with his family, but I called baloney on that from day one. I thought, and it was uh, reported by Woj today that um, he. After quitting or after resigning from the Rockets, he immediately turned his attention to Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia's been pursuing him for the last two years. They even pursued him this year secretly when they were trying to get a new executive to work above Elton Brand. But it's a great hire for Philly. 76ers fans should be celebrating. They should be on the streets of Philadelphia uh, running up and down and just throwing themselves a parade. because they finally have a big-time executive to help run this franchise, something they've been lacking for the last four or five years.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Daryl Morey brings a new dimension of leadership to this Sixers team, which seems very anti-analytical for for the present. I do believe that um, given his analytical inclination and not having maybe someone as strong or experienced as Harden Um, pushing his buttons to make a move a la like an anti-analytical move like getting Westbrook that in uh, that Simmons's time in Philly is going to be limited because of his uh, you know some of his shortcomings in terms of shooting it's just very against the modern day game of basketball where it's all about space and pace I think Daryl Morey will be making some very big changes to that roster and some very big hierarchical changes as the president of basketball operations. But Callan, your thoughts on this move and maybe how it shapes the landscape of the 76ers franchise and the NBA.
2: You know, I think Isaiah is right, though, that the Sixers finally have someone competent enough to run, you know, basketball ops. Finally, you know, again, it's been a very long, you know, lengthy process, no pun intended with the Sixers for the past several years. But I do think, though, that Isaiah's is on a very valid point, though, in regards to you know, even though that he's got a good relationship with Doc Rivers, though, will their philosophies about how the lineup or the roster should be constructed, will they they clash? You know, will they probably have to iron out some things about, you know, hey, I want to do this, do this. But also, how much, though, will Doc Rivers trust the analytics? And I think we have already talked about this. Isaiah did more so in the baseball segment about Kevin Cash and Blake Snell. You know, but how much, though, can you really, you know, rely on analytics for basketball, but also as well, though, that's my only concern, though, is will there be maybe some small, you know, nothing out of proportion, you know, maybe meetings where they probably have to, you know, sit down and discuss, you know, how do we construct this roster? That's what I think is going to be a is what will make or break the Sixers in this upcoming season, fellas, Is how this roster is constructed around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I know, of course, the teams maybe are, are perhaps looking at acquiring Joel, whether it's for draft picks or other players, though. But I think that obviously. You know, instead of, you know, giving up on these young players so quickly, build around them. Do, in, you know, in, kind of in a way, do what uh, Wang's uh, Wolves are doing and try to build around Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Build around these young stars. And, yes, we know that they can probably not shoot the three or they have a lot of, you know, pissy fits or temper tantrums when, when things aren't going the right way, though. But build around them. You know, don't look to trade one of these guys' way and break up this little duel you got going here. But also, I think that uh, more than anything else, though, You've got to try to land a third star, though. You know, Much like what we've already talked about with the Lakers getting a third star, the Sixers need that one more guy or one more player in my mind to fit the puzzle to take that load off of both Simmons and MB. because these two guys can't carry this ball club for an entire year in my mind, especially through a playoff stretch as well, where, again, we saw them get knocked out early in the postseason this year. But I like the hire, but, again, it's more so for me, roster construction will be a very big talking point once, in fact, Uh, The free agent agent market does open up sometime within the next month or two.
0: Yep. And uh, so, Callan, you think that Ben Simmons stays with Philadelphia for the time being? I believe so. And I think that they both stay.
2: And it becomes a thing where – and I think it becomes a thing, though, where they probably, you know, maybe flourish under Doc Rivers because, you know, we talk, guys, so much about coaches being fired. You know, and Isaiah and I talked about this on the night shift recently. That when the Falcons blew out Dan Quinn, and I think we could make the comparison to when the Lakers fired Mike Brown for Bernie Bickerstaff. You know, one USD alum gets uh, fired for another USD alum, in Bickerstaff and Brown. But usually, those first couple games are, hey, forget the systems, forget playing rotations or whatever, play your game. And you see that team sometimes adapt well to that new voice. I think that Simmons and Embiid make this work with the new coach in place, not have to, and not you know, and not hearing the same voice. That was Brett Brown for a long time in their ear and, you know, the same philosophies where now you have that new voice in charge that they probably, in my mind, they probably flourish, maybe not right away, but this does in fact, in my mind, work as time moves on.
0: Yes. Martin, your thoughts on the Daryl Morey hiring and perhaps Ben Simmons future in
3: Philadelphia? I think Ben Simmons is gone, man. This guy has been I would agree with that. How long has he been there now, man? How long have Embiid and Simmons been there? They have Josh Richardson now, a shooter. And it's just it's just simple for teams like the Lakers, even the Bucks, the Clippers to beat this team. Because you don't respect Ben Simmons. He's just a passer and a rebounder. He's a 10-10-10 guy. I I don't I, I don't I'm not a fan of Ben Simmons. I say trade him to the uh Let's trade them down to the Warriors. Run the Warriors. Warriors. <laughs> Let's run the Warriors and get them back into relevancy.
0: Oh man. Martin look, loves rooting look, against man. the top heavy teams.
3: Look, you you trade Simmons for that top Warriors pick and they signed LaMelo Ball. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. That
0: that that is one bold take there, Ben what Simmons for Lamelo Ball.
3: Well, because Lamelo's a, a passer, he could actually shoot, and he'll actually help Embiid become the best center in the league, which he should be already.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. That Lamelo Ball, um, maybe in Philadelphia, be a better fit with Embiid. Ben Simmons can maybe get some inspiration from the Warriors as far as shooting but also the point that lamella ball is a ball dominant uh you know guy who loves handling the ball and a ball dominant shooter at that so how would that work with Stephen clay sorry to burst your bubble isaiah lots of question marks if indeed lamella ball were to land with the warriors
2: my, my only thought here, though, is why are we not going to give Ben Simmons a chance to try with a new coach? I know that, of course, that it probably is not all on the coach with the shooter or the player not playing well, but you got to at least give it a chance, you know, and it probably does go up in flames, but I, I think he's probably going to be there at the start of the season, along with Embiid, whether we like it or not.
0: I agree with that. I think it's not something that's going to happen right away. When LeBron James came to the Lakers, and he's practically a president of basketball operations himself. Let's be real. Martin knows is a Miami fan as well as an NBA fan. Isaiah knows is a Lakers fan. And I've known in my uh, short time in Ohio around all the Cleveland fans, he's practically a president of basketball operations himself. Yes, he is. When LeBron went to the Lakers, Lonzo ball didn't get traded or shipped away from LA right away. It took time to put a package together that the Pelicans were able to agree with and, um, that the Lakers were able to get the right timing to acquire Anthony Davis. It took about a year's time before Lonzo was shipped out of L.A. So with Ben Simmons, I'm not saying it happens overnight, Callen, um, as the season begins. I, I say it happens after maybe one season with Daryl Morey. Fair point. Isaiah had something to add on to the Ben Simmons topic. Isaiah, go ahead.
1: I think – If one of the two stars for the Sixers will be shipped out, I think – I got to disagree with you guys. I don't think it's going to be Simmons. I think it's going to be Joel Embiid because when you look at Daryl Morey's track record, when it comes to building teams, right, his teams don't value bigs as high as the majority of the teams in the NBA. I mean, last – was it February? He shipped out Clint Capella, the Rockets' best center – that they had in a, like in the last five years for a bag, literally a bag of chips. It was so bad, man. Like so, I don't think he really values bigs that much, and I just think that Embiid can get you more. Than you can get for Ben Simmons, and also like if they're gonna play the Mike D'Antoni style of basketball, which I really don't know how it's gonna work because Daryl wants to play that style of basketball. Uh, I don't. Doc likes to play the half-court set style, so they're gonna have to work some stuff out. But if they decide to play the Mike D'Antoni run-and-gun, fast-paced style of basketball, I think Simmons would be a better fit because he's a playmaker. You know, he's a playmaker that can bring the ball and pass it to whoever else um, on the court that can shoot it. So I think he would be a better fit in a potential Mike D'Antoni style of play than a half court set. So it really determines. It really depends. I mean, on what type of offense they are trying to play in Philadelphia.
3: Or yeah, how about, absolutely? How about Martin? We go ship ahead. Off, we ship off Tobias Harris and his terrible contract. I mean, the Sixers in general are a weird team. So Tobias has max contract, if i remember correctly. Yep. Simmons does as well, right? Yes, and sir. And Embiid has a max as well, or close to. And they're all locked up till like 2023, 2024. You're not gonna win with a core of Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid. I say trade Harris out of there, trade Simmons out of there, and rebuild around the most talented player, Joel Embiid.
0: Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I just think that with this situation, right, when LeBron went to the Lakers, um, when LeBron went to the Heat, his moves, those big moves didn't happen overnight. They didn't just ship out uh, the analytically, analytically inefficient Lonzo Ball overnight. It took about a year, and I think if Daryl Morey were to just give up on Simmons before even you know a season was played, he would catch a lot of flack for that. From Philadelphia and NBA fans because I think Callan's right I think there needs to be time for the core of the team to be developed and you gain the trust trust of players like Tobias Harris and Embiid by first building that new system that new culture without maybe upheavaling the core that you've already built around the, all these years but moving on to a new hire guys Stephen I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right Isaiah but Stephen Sillis is the new head coach Silas of the Houston Rockets we all know his father was a legendary coach within the NBA and college basketball but what are your thoughts on this hire and give us some background behind some of the work he's been doing in the NBA so far.
1: All right, so before um, I give my reaction to this, I'll give you guys a rundown of his uh, resume. So this guy was obviously the son of longtime head coach in the NBA, Paul Silas. In fact, he started his coaching – or his he started his – yeah, NBA coaching slash executive career under his father with the Charlotte Hornets. He was a scout with uh, Charlotte, and then he moved up to being an assistant coach. And I think after his father departed Charlotte, he uh, coached for the Golden State Warriors in 2006 to 2010. He also coached the Cleveland Cavaliers. He also coached the Wizards, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's uh, been coaching the Dallas Mavericks for the last few years. He's been an assistant coach in the NBA since 2001 so he's got over 19 years of uh, assistant coaching experience but listen i was really shocked when i heard the news uh because all along i thought that jeff van gundy was going to be the next head coach of the houston rockets especially after daryl morey stepped down you know i don't want to cast any aspersions on steven or on Stephen silas Uh, He's a good man and also a good coach. He's worked his butt off as an assistant coach in the NBA in various destinations for the last 20 years. This guy has paid his dues, and he deserves an opportunity to be a head coach. But I don't like this hire for the Houston Rockets because I don't like the fit. The Rockets, when they moved on from Mike D'Antoni, I felt like they needed a coach that would hold Russell Westbrook and James Harden accountable, and also they needed a new identity. They needed a culture change. We had seen for the last four years that the run-and-gun, small-ball offense and no-defense approach could only go so far in the playoffs. You can't win an NBA championship with that philosophy. That's why I wanted Jeff Van Gundy, because Jeff Van Gundy is a no-nonsense coach who would come in and change the culture in Houston and make them a more defensive-oriented and physical basketball team, which I believe would help them take the next step and reach the NBA Finals and maybe even win a championship. And also, most importantly, Jeff Van Gundy, would have held James Harden and Russell Westbrook accountable. But the Rockets, instead, they go to a first-time head coach in Stephen Silas, who was the Mavericks' de facto offensive coordinator the past couple of seasons and will most likely continue the Rockets' philosophy that was implemented by Mike D'Antoni, which is offense, 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 and offense, and no defense. Once again, like I've been telling you guys all this time, you're not going to win an NBA championship with, uh, with, that philosophy, with that philosophy because you need to be able to play defense to win a championship. Just look what the Lakers did. The Lakers were one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. Their offense might have might not have been in the top 10, but, hey, they played great defense and they won a championship. The Rockets, they, their offense was super great. They were in the top 10 three in offense each and every year but their offense was one of the worst uh I mean defense was one of the worst defenses in the NBA for the last two three seasons and what happened to them they would always either reach the western conference finals either reach the second round and get knocked out so you can't win a championship if you don't play defense and also last but not least I have a bad feeling that Steven Silas will get walked all over by James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Eric Gordon, and some of the highly established players on this team. I think that the Rockets players honestly only wanted him as a coach because he would be like what Ty Lu was to the Cavs, and that is a puppet coach.
0: And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Isaiah. As we go to Christie's comment, I was surprised by the Rockets making this hire. I thought for sure that they were going to hire Jeff Van Gundy And, Christy, to that I say, with Jeff Van Gundy, the Rockets, it seemed like their ceiling was just playoff disappointment after playoff disappointment. I mean, they were like the Oakland Athletics or the San Diego Padres, sorry, Callan and Isaiah, of the NBA just habitually losing in the first two rounds. And so with Steven Silas, yes, this is a guy that doesn't have head coaching experience. Yes, he's mostly served as an assistant head coach, but this is a guy – who will rock the boat in the sense that it's something new. You know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's exactly what the Rockets didn't do in this situation. And Isaiah, when you said that this is a Tyron Lue situation where they are trying to hand the keys of the franchise to James Harden and Russell Westbrook, you absolutely hit that take Isaiah for once Your take is very, very strong and reasonable and accurate here. I think the Rockets are trying to basically experiment with a Cleveland and situation with LeBron, an L.A. situation with LeBron, where basically they have the player, James Harden, the superstar in the core of the franchise, be the player coach because they've tried it with some of the stronger coaching personalities like D'Antoni and like Jeff Van Gundy, but I think now they're trying to shift towards the LeBron James championship model, and you know whether or not that works, it remains to be seen. But Callen, what do you think about this player-centric mentality of putting James Harden at the centerpiece of the organization and perhaps handing, in a sense, the metaphorical keys to the Houston Rockets' playground and kingdom?
2: This is a very stunning and shocking hire, I think, done so far, this very brief NBA offseason, as we can, as we are calling it right now. But it, for one, it's shocking and stunning, but it also literally makes absolutely zero sense, kind of like Isaiah's take about BYU making the college football playoff this year. This makes absolutely, guys, no sense in my mind. When you literally have that veteran coach in a Jeff Van Gundy, who's been around the block, yes, probably not had a lot of success, though, in his time, but he's a notable name out there. You also had, a, you know, Mark Jackson was out there. Jeff Van Gundy was out there. And literally it was, you know, it looked perfectly lined up for Jeff Van Gundy to get out of the ESPN broadcast booth and back on the NBA sidelines. But yet, though, something here to me just doesn't sound right that you would pick, you know, Stephen Silas, you know, of course, you know, prodigy son of his dad you would pick a guy with no coaching experience, much like we saw with Brooklyn picking Steve Nash over maybe other uh, candidates, but then you have this thing lined up, perfectly lined up to get Jeff Van Gundy out of retirement pretty much and out of the broadcast booth and on your sidelines for a, you know, maybe a second chance. Of course, he was with them back in the day, but you pick Steven Silas, who again has not had any coaching experience, head coaching experience at least over Jeff Van Gundy. There's something here that doesn't add up, whether it's maybe Van Gundy saying it's not enough money for me. I'm going back to work for ESPN or something else. But, you know, there's something else, I think, guys, to this story as to why they picked Steven Silas over Jeff Van Gundy. And i am very interested to find out or figure out or know why Jeff Van Gundy said no to getting back into coaching when he's been very vocal about that for the past several months and maybe several years.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there's uh, a mystery to how this Stephen Silas hiring even happened, even from uh, the Rockets organization's end and also on the end of uh, Jeff Van Gundy himself. Martin, what do you think about perhaps the Rockets attempting to adopt a more player-centric approach here in handing the keys to Harden and Westbrook?
3: Well, I, I think uh, Silas, it- it's decent hiring, man. He helped run the best offense in the league last year as the assistant coach. So, I mean, I think when you run the best offense with the Mavs, you think you could re- replicate that with the Rockets when you have James Harden and Russell Westbrook, two walking triple-doubles. But is he
0: going there to actually coach?
3: I think he is. I really do. I, I don't I don't see James Harden as a LeBron James. He's not even a KD. I don't think he, he I don't think he commands the respect that LeBron, KD, AD demand. And and we've seen James Harden's whole career, man. When has he ever led his team to anything really outside of the Western Conference second round
0: or a divisional championship? But like, remember they said James, the same thing about Dirk Nowitzki
3: early on in his career? I I think I think Dirk has always been a leader. Uh, James Harden to me is just a stat pattern, man. That's all he is. And I know people say he's like one of the best in the league, but you have you have James Harden, you have Russell Westbrook, two of the best ball dominant players. It's not gonna work out if if you just say, all right, here you go, James Harden, take over.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, kind of where the Rockets might have uh broken down here in terms of hiring Steven Silas, but Martin does think that Steven Silas is going to be in there to coach and that he can help this Rockets team uh, run into some success, especially with the talent of Westbrook and Harden. Moving on to our final topic here, the Mound West and West Coast Conference are considering basketball bubbles. Uh, Before we jump into the final topic, I want to give a quick shout-out to first-time viewer Helena, I sent her a link to our podcast. She was curious to check it out, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. But right now in college basketball, the Mountain West and the West Coast Conferences are considering basketball bubbles to really battle the coronavirus pandemic and be able to play in a stable environment. Isaiah, I want to go to you first because you are a big-time Hawaii and Mountain West fan. You were talking them up during our college football segment Stephen, just to clarify real
2: quick, buddy, U of H is not in the Mountain West for basketball. They're in the Big West for that, so they're, they'd be excluded from this. But Isaiah's BYU Cougars are in the same conference as uh, the University of San Diego, so this should be very fun.
0: Yes, Isaiah. So we'll go to you about this Mountain West bubble environment.
1: Well... First of all, about this bubble environment, do you guys know how it would work, actually? Is it going to be like for the like Mountain West tournament and the West Coast Conference the tournament? The entire
2: conference schedule would be played in bubble environments in Vegas or Colorado Springs, depending on which conference you're looking at
1: wow that that is really interesting because I heard that college football was thinking about this. I heard that college baseball was thinking about this, but it never came into fruition because reports are that you know the athletes they're like college kids they didn't want to do it. they wanted to stay on campus and party and go to clubs and stuff like that so that's why they didn't want to do it but. I mean, I think it's a good idea if you want to complete the season because right now, like, we've seen it. You know, MLB, their bubble has worked except that one COVID test with Justin Turner. NBA, their bubble has worked. And uh, the – not NFL, the NHL, their bubble has worked with no COVID cases. So a bubble does work. But listen, these are amateurs, man. Like, these are, like, teenagers. They're, uh, yeah, they're teenagers. They're young adults. I don't know if they're gonna be willing to comply with the rules in the bubble, uh, like professional athletes do. Because let's let's face it, they're not getting paid for this. They're gonna be not they're not gonna be able to see their families for two, three, four months. They're just gonna be locked in Vegas or whatever. They might go to the casinos and you know, have some fun or whatever break rules because you know, they're they're really young kids. So I mean, I hope it works because I want to see a college basketball season get uh, underway and completed, but I'm just worried that these young kids aren't going to comply with the rules of the bubble.
0: Well, Isaiah, to respond to your epic rant and reiterate it, I don't think these college players are going to be playing tag, hide-and-go-seek, or watching Romeo and Juliet out there to avoid boredom. They're going to be up to a lot more risque things if they're out in Vegas or... Anywhere that's a semblance of an urban environment, they will not totally comply by the bubble restrictions. But uh, I do want to go to Martin actually for this because uh, Fresno State is in the Mountain West for many sports. So, what are your thoughts on the Mountain West and the Western, uh, the West Coast Conference adopting bubble
3: environments? So, how I still have the question Isaiah has how exactly does this work? So, all these. Different schools just go to Vegas and they do their classes through Zoom, or do what you do want they me to read the
2: article because I have it pulled up on my phone? They
3: yeah, would do please... it
0: through Zoom, most likely.
3: Yeah, because it's just weird, it's a weird scenario. And they're, and like we said, they're students, they're not getting paid to do this. I, I feel like some students would just sit out.
0: It's that's true, but you got to remember, this is still their livelihood, like they might not be making the dollars today, but. Uh, this is for their future. I mean, think about it as this. It's like you got a full ride to med school, right? Like uh, in the future, you're going to get paid big money as a doctor. So you're not just going to be like, oh, because I'm not getting paid, I'm not going to go to school. You still got to finish up the degree you're working towards and get into the profession. Similarly with some of these players, I'm sure they have NBA, if not at least uh, minor league or overseas professional basketball aspirations that they have
3: to chase after. Yeah, that is true. That is true. To me, it's just a weird situation. It's going to be interesting seeing how it plays out because it is very weird.
0: and your thoughts about this bubble environment?
3: Well, as
2: somebody that works in the West Coast Conference, and I can definitely concur with this, but this guy actually was broken today via the San Diego Union-Tribune. So for those of you wondering, here's how this bubble would work for the West Coast Conference at least. Their proposed model would bring all 10 of the WCC schools to Vegas for two and a half weeks to play eight games, come back to campus for two for a couple of weeks, then go back to finish out the – so it would be pretty much a two-half season, eight games for for a couple of weeks, go back to campus, come back to Vegas to finish things out. So that's, for example, more so, guys, about the conference travel. For example, USD could go and bus to Vegas, play Gonzaga. They're supposed to going from here – flying commercially to Spokane, Washington, playing them two days after they play Santa Clara on the road. So that's the one uh, that's with the WCC. Then with the Mountain West, they're looking to follow the same series of bubbles or a shorter duration with a regional focus, sending half of the schools to Vegas, the other half to Colorado Springs based on location. Most can travel by bus, and later in the year, they may split things up uh, amongst the North and South division. But of course, money and television would of course make that a bit um, tougher to do, of course, because you have you know crews deployed to work games at you know the Jenny Craig Pavilion or at Viejas Arena here in San Diego. I for one would like to see it still remain on campus for the sheer fact of me getting back to work, hopefully. Uh, but I could see though for the safety, you know, for the sake of the season, because as we I think guys, it more so I think has been a domino effect, not only really domino effect, but other conferences like the WCC like the Mountain West, seeing what's gone on in football. again, I think UNM in the uh, Mountain West had to cancel their game this week because of COVID concerns because they had two outbreaks, I think mm-hmm. uh, amongst their football program. I think that uh, that they've looked though, I think mainly they have, I think mainly guys, the big Ten football season schedule is kind of what I think has had a lot of conferences proceeding with caution because again, like I said though, there's no safety net for Wisconsin and Nebraska to make up that game that they're going to miss on Saturday. So I, I would hope it would still remain on campuses, but if it's but if it's for the the betterment of the health of the athletes, I know of course Isaiah has very rightfully good points though about you know these guys aren't going to do stuff like this. Well, Isaiah, I know that the NHL uh, that the NHL put rules in place that players are not allowed to be anywhere near near the casino floor, and they would have private security and team officials. Watching these guys very closely, I would think the same thing would have to be done, though. And especially I think if it's already been in Vegas for the conference tournament, nothing's going to change in regards to that where they would probably have compliance officers, you know, maybe undercover police in a way, monitoring these guys very closely and stuff of that nature as well. I mean, I like the idea, but right now it's not really coming to fruition. It's getting some traction, but more so like a plan B, plan C, plan X, Y and Z, just in case something does, in fact, get worse as time does, in fact, move on. I think think it would work if it was needed, but right now I'm kind of just more so with with my personal sake and sanity, hoping it all stays on college campuses. But if they have to go that route, then we totally understand why.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of details to be ironed out about uh, the bubble situation. And, you know, as Angel alluded to it, if it worked in the NBA, it should work for the NCAA. However, Like we said, you know, waiting to get paid or aiming to get paid is a lot different than when you're already getting paid to play inside the bubble. Uh, Angel saying not talking politics, politics, but only reason Big Ten is not even playing is because our Presidente got involved. Uh, I'm sure it definitely played a part in it. Um, But with that being said, guys, we will shift over to our final thoughts. (laughs) So I will start off my final thoughts, guys, uh, by saying that, you know, uh, happy Halloween season for everyone. We got a brand new logo designed for it. It will debut on our Halloween Spooktacular um, on Saturday night. And uh, we will play the trailer real quickly for everyone to see, um, to just remind you guys to tune in to our amazing, amazing Halloween Spooktacular. And before I forget it, guys, don't forget out there, don't forget to get out there and vote. Um, we got to get our votes in before November third. And if you want to see change in the country, or if you want to see uh, things improve, you definitely want to express your voice and your opinion through the ballots. But with that being said, guys, our Halloween spectacular special promo. answer the promos question, if Isaiah continues to talk about uh, BYU in the college football playoffs or Drew Locke in the Denver Broncos upsetting Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs, uh, people might not return after walking off the set. Just to answer the question real quickly. uh, Yeah, I don't think Cowan is returning for final thoughts, guys, but uh, I will go over to Isaiah for his final thoughts and – Once again, thanks to Callum for designing that amazing, amazing promo.
1: Well, Stephen, before I get into my final thoughts, I want to thank Angel, Christy, Chardot. uh, Let's see.
3: He's back, Uh,
1: guys. Casey King, um, Tyler Work, David Tito Rivera, and I think that's – Pretty much it, yeah. That's pretty much it for tuning in to our show tonight. Uh, we really appreciate the love and the support that you guys give us each and every night. Uh, thank you guys so much for you know flooding our comment box with great comments. And also, I really need to thank you guys so much for giving us great feedback last night on our new segment that me and Callan will be uh, doing on the night shift from now on every Sunday, I believe, Callan, or Saturday. That is correct. Sunday, yep, which is the blooper of the week segment. We're trying to come up with a new name, but thank you guys so much for giving us great feedback on it. We will definitely continue with that segment. is not going anywhere. So thank you guys so much. Make sure you guys tune in tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. 5 p.m. here on the West Coast. Rachel L. Hill from Cleveland, Ohio, will be joining me, Callan, Stephen, uh, John Mathis, as well as Anand. We will be talking about Ohio State, Penn State, the big game that is coming up this weekend from Beaver Stadium oh, in H. Happy Valley, as well as the Cleveland Cavaliers and what they should do with their – Uh, number five overall pick in this upcoming NBA draft. And also we're going to talk Odell and the Cleveland Browns. It's going to be a great episode. So make sure you guys get your popcorn, get your pina colada, get your soda, get your margaritas, and tune in for that episode. It'll be so great. But my final thoughts, ladies and gentlemen, is – Welcome to the fall, baby. I know fall season started back in September on September 21st, but this week has actually started feeling like season. I mean, right now, the sun sets at 5.50 p.m. here in the Bay Area. It is cold. It's time to bring out the jackets, the sweatpants, the sweatshirts. Um, And also, you know, we have football season in full swing. Every College football is full swing. We're starting to debate who's going to get into the college football playoff. The holidays are around the corner. Halloween is is in a couple of days. The election also is next week. I mean, my God, it is truly fall season, everybody. I am so excited, man. I'm so excited the holidays are here because I can't wait for Thanksgiving. I can eat pumpkin pie after pumpkin pie after pumpkin pie.
3: <laughs>
1: on the Thanksgiving table, so I'm so glad the fall season and the holiday season is officially upon us. But like Steven said, go out there and vote, ladies and gentlemen. You guys still have, I believe, six days till election day. And also, uh, I don't want to spoil this, but me, Callan, and Jonathan Mathis, we will have a special announcement regarding uh, something we have planned for the election uh, in the coming days. So make sure you guys tune in. Jeff.
0: We are definitely staying alive during this fall season and getting in the grooving. Oh, damn. Isaiah just stopped his dance moves right when I flashed over to him. But um, yeah, with that being said, definitely tune in oh, to. Everybody move that man. Oh. Well, now that we have you back for now, Callan, your final thoughts. And thank you so much for creating that amazing, amazing Halloween promo
2: anytime i mean i have it's been you know days at home and just trying to plug along and uh keep uh keep the product going here for the six but of course a major thank you to all the viewers and uh by the way a major thank you to all the anchor listeners we have officially guys passed 1400 anchor listens as of today so give yourselves Woo! a round of applause we're getting very close to 1500 um Stephen, I don't know, man, but if we get uh, Stephen, if we get if we get two thousand anchor listens by New Year's Eve,
0: what do we have to do to celebrate, buddy? Oh man, that's uh, I gotta think this one through before I release something amazing for you y'all to enjoy and everything. But thank you guys so much for the support.
2: But that also reminds us, though, folks, is following our Halloween spectacular episode on Saturday. Starting next month is going to be our mega thirty-one days of Mi Six Hot Takes Challenge. We're going to we're going to put thirty-two of the biggest uh, moments on the program in all of our program history live into a giant bracket. You guys can vote again, as mentioned. I don't know why I'm getting Squibber banging his head on the on the to store the Michigan fan. <laughs> the Steve is just having fun with over uh, with overlays. Uh, but again, yes, technical folks,
3: difficulties.
2: Uh, technical difficulties. Uh, by the way. Did no one notice I'm in this picture, by the way?
0: Uh, no where are you, Callan? Yeah, I see you. Give me a hint. Give me a hint of where you are. Let's see. One, we're, two, two, we're trying two, to find
1: three. Callan right now. It's, it's, it's like finding Waldo. Sixth he's, edition. He's, he's, six six
0: five. He's, he's five. It should be easy. He's at the top. Oh, Martin that's already right. found me. I think it's hilarious. There he is. There he is. It's because your hair is cut off. That's why it's so confusing. <laughs> All right. Anyway, as Callan yeah. enjoyed his uh, 25 seconds of fandom over there.
2: Yeah, because I put that up as more of like, because uh, we were talking about the crowd sizes and stuff like that. So it's like, oh, there there we were. But anyway, again, a uh, major thank you again to all the viewers out there as usual. Again, of uh, 1,400 anchor listens and still getting likes and everything else going on. Uh, it would be party time. Maybe I can get one of my, uh, uh, hopefully one of our future guests to come and maybe do a special guest DJ set. Isaiah, we went back to you because you had a sign-up. We still can't read what it said. Party poppers. No, no party poppers.
3: Maybe Isaac finally egged Steven. Oh, God. I still have to pay up on that bet.
2: All right. Other than that, (laughs) uh, look forward to tomorrow. That's going to be a great show again. Rachel Hill, Cleveland Sports uh, tomorrow, 5 o'clock. A pretty stacked panel of uh, MI6 uh, correspondents tomorrow. So uh, tune in, and it's going to be one hell of a show.
0: Alright, let's go over to Martin now who appeared for his first episode since the NFL draft and since Jonathan and Callan joined our network. Finally.
3: <laughs> yeah, finally. Hey. Uh, I just Martin, think I he... thought
2: you were gonna save your grand debut for Saturday though. Uh not
3: anymore. Today. <laughs> he had a... But oh my god! Good old Dirk. <laughs> Good I love it. Dirk. <laughs> but I want to thank you three for having me on today. And also thank the fans. Make sure to like, share, and make sure to tune in on Saturday. It's going to be great. Spectacular. I'll be <laughs> here. Kyle will be here. Isaiah will be here. I think Jonathan will be here. Steven will be here. It'll be, it'll be something. I'll tell you that. I think
2: think Mr. Mathis has a very special Halloween costume planned for us. He hasn't told us what it is yet, so it's still a surprise. So uh, definitely tune in on Saturday.
0: Yes, it is indeed going to be a special, special episode, guys, and it is going to be spooktacular. But thank you guys for all the listens, um, and thank you guys for tuning into the program. We absolutely miss Dirk, and like we said, um, go out there. And enjoy Halloween and vote. And that is going to be it for us, guys. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. And sayonara.
3: Happy holidays.